0: Well, 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 well. Hello, hello. 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 Ladies and gentlemen. We are on a sober grind. We're back, we're live. We're back. So check this out. I've been sick, hold on, this here. (laughs) I've been sick, he's been sick. Um, I don't know who gave it to who. So forgive
1: us today if we're a little under the weather, but we're gonna do the best that we possibly can.
0: Yes. So
1: we have a sort of unfortunate topic today. It is. It's very sad. Yeah, I'm talking about how people are dropping like flies. That's right. Um, go ahead. Well, where do you want to, where do you want to jump in here? Why, why did this
0: topic come to mind for you today? Because, uh, you know, it's 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 interesting. So so when I got sober, like I, I dedicated my life to wanting to help people. I have a lot of friends that are in recovery. That you either go one way or the other. You get sober and you. And you work in the field or you work with people that are new in recovery and you get to share your recovery with them. Mm-hmm. Or you just go get a regular job and you like, don't really interact with addicts and alcoholics on a daily basis. You stay anonymous at your respective job, wherever that may be. Yeah. But for me, I, just, I took on this role where I, I wanted to help people. And that's just what I do. And I, there's a lot of people I'm affiliated with that do the same thing. So I, in doing so, I didn't realize like, what I was in for and what I would see. So in our community, obviously, when I'm working in treatment and I'm working as an interventionist or I'm working um, with many, many people that are newly sober or attempting to get sober or don't want to get sober, I see some stuff, you know. So just in the last 24 hours alone, uh, I have um, gone to a place in downtown L.A., picked up somebody from their apartment. They weren't well. The place didn't look well. It was really run down. This guy looked like he was, you know, in... He, he looked like he was dying. Like when I went there and, I, and to pick him up, he looked like he was dying. I brought him a detox last night the second that we walk in. I see another guy there. He was new. Uh, and He's from St. Louis. So uh, both of them. Fentanyl. I mean, both of them, right? And I'm thinking yeah, too- uh, nationally, on a national level, we have two different guys that... Have both been brought into a detox, and it's very common these days. I mean, yeah. it's like fentanyl is on on a rise, and there are people that are just dying left and right. And when I I love to, when I talk to people that are new in recovery or brand new or barely getting sober, I love to like see who they are and where they came from and see what their stories about. And when you talk to kids these days, like they're so caught up in this fentanyl craze that that's all they're doing. And I like to know, like, do you shoot it? Do you use the patch? to eat it? What do you do? Yeah. Is it, do you think it's becoming a popular thing that people actually want to it's, try and it's, do? It's beyond popularity. It's mm. all across our country. Mm. It's distributed. Yeah. It's distributed regularly. And right now in there's certain states like Ohio, there's more people that are, that are doing fentanyl than they're doing heroin. It's crazy. So, I mean, this is a... Is it more accessible? It's become more accessible. Wow! There's street dealers that are peddling it. You know what I mean? There's there's basically people that are. you if Fentanyl really is easier scary to get it these it days it's than heroin. Wow. That's
1: and that's so scary too because it's such so, it's so much more potent, so stronger and it's so much more stronger people. and potent.
0: Yeah. So you know what am I seeing? I mean, just from last night to this morning, I had several phone calls of different people that have relapsed. Some of them obviously on heroin because it's more accessible for them locally, but (coughs) there's another kid that I was trying to deal with this morning who just came back from Texas mm-hmm. on a bus that was, we were supposed to try to get some help out here. Um, his mom went to go look for him at the bus station. He went, it was in downtown LA. Where does he end up going? Disappears, tells his mom some lie, goes, where do you think he went? He went to Skid Row, right? Mm-hmm. He went to go pick up some drugs so that he can get high again. And sadly, like there's so many kids that were trying to help here that are so caught up in the hype and the craze and just like the, all, all that goes into doing it. You know, it's, it's like, they, they're living without a soul. You know what I mean? It's like they, mm-hmm. they're they so caught up in this drug and, it's, and it captivates them. It totally, yeah. there's once they do it, they can't, it, just in talking to the guy last night, for example, like when I was, you know, I love, I love to connect with, with somebody else and let him know like where I was and how I've changed my life. But just to hear him, he, he just sounded like he was hopeless and helpless and like like he's got nothing going for him and, and he doesn't even want to live anymore. And, you know, suicide sounds like a really good idea. And it's sad because... Um, on the back end of it, there's so many people that I've been working with that actually get out of that. Like, for example, in the same drive of bringing the guy to detox last night, I had another guy, a sponsee call me mm-hmm. and tell me that he was at his sober living running the place. And that um, there was somebody that was shacked up in a bathroom and they kept on knocking on the door. And the guy had locked the door. and He wouldn't open it and he wouldn't open it and he would Finally, he went in there and the guy was hunched over and he'd overdosed oh man and, and he had, but Sponsie actually grabbed the heroin that he, they found they found a bag full of heroin he had it in his hand
1: mm-hmm.
0: and instead of even thinking about using it and this guy was a heroin addict before right yeah. he ended up flushing it down the toilet now one does well one does not well you yeah. know like one decides to change their life one does not people are dropping like flies there's more people that are dying than there are getting well and it's really sad. I remember when I was in treatment, somebody told me, um, eighty, like what is it, like ninety-eight percent of the people that uh, go into treatment don't stay sober, and two percent mm. do. And I was, you know, clear on that. Like, and I didn't know if those statistics were true or not. I had to see it and witness it throughout my life mm-hmm. um, in sobriety. But I wanted to be part of the two percent, and that's yeah. what that's what counts. You know, is the ones that really get sick and tired of being sick and tired, and are graced with the ultimate opportunity to be able to work towards getting a second life and becoming sober and living this beautiful life. A lot of people don't have that opportunity. They end up going back out.
1: Yeah, I want to talk about and expand a little bit more about this because this reminds me that we recently did a a video on uh, long-term recovery. Right. Um, And I, I... I want you to expand uh, a little bit on that. Is it, why do you think it's, it's 80% are, are failing? Is it because they, they only go in for 30 days right. and they scratch the surface? Or? Well,
0: I often talk about this too. There's you know, a lot of people, so we have different types of people that have various opinions about treatment, right? Yeah. Treatment for substance abuse. Um, some people think that treatment is useless. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't agree with them. I'm a product of treatment. I went through yeah. treatment. I, I mean, I, we see it
1: every day. We
0: see it every day. And I got to be in groups and get the individual therapy and all. But the fact is, treatment isn't supposed to keep people sober. That's not the point of treatment. Right. Treatment is designed to help someone break the resistance towards long-term recovery. I love that. Most treatment centers mm-hmm. send people to 12-step meetings. Why is that? Because mm-hmm. they know that if they send them enough, they're gonna hear the message in there. Along, you know, along with all the stuff that they're doing in treatment on a daily basis, when they're going to their meetings mm-hmm. and they're connecting with a uh, sober community, that's why a lot of people that come to California for treatment, they, you know, for the right reasons, they end up right. connecting with the recovery community because this is like the recovery mecca of of sure. of recovery. So there's a lot of different, various um, people and places that you can go to out here where you get connected and you have a sober sober support group, you know, where you where you continue your sobriety and have long-term recovery so for me treatment Broke the resistance to long-term recovery because I had no concept of what long-term recovery looked like mm. Was it important for me to stay in treatment for a while? Absolutely. I you know I went in thinking I just need 30 days and I'm, I'm gonna go back out. Yeah. My disease was basically saying you don't need all this like Sure. You got all the information that you want, you can go ahead and leave. But over a period of time, I realized, like, no man, I've been eating this for a long time. So the people that succeed are the people that do the work. Mm-hmm. You have to understand, a lot of people that come into treatment, they think that they're unique. Mm-hmm. They come in and they say, don't you know that uh, because of what I went through in my life and the traumas that I experienced and all the things that I went through, um, I don't blame you. I would get high too, I get that. But the ones that are really unique are not the ones that come into treatment. Everyone's unique. Everyone's got their own story. It's the ones that do the work and really, really, really get honest with their innermost self and work towards long-term recovery. Those are the ones. Those are the unique ones, and we don't see a lot of them. Yeah, it's unfortunate because we're playing Russian roulette, and a lot of these, a lot of kids and people—not just kids, adults too—that are using um, these types of drugs, like. Uh, fentanyl and heroin and things like that. You know, you you don't know. You, it's at any time that you you you're just kind of pulling the trigger and not knowing that that could be your last time. I was talking to two the, the two guys. One of them that I picked up last night. There was another guy there with five and a half months, and um, he was just telling me how he how he had met me before. I didn't really know who he was. Mm-hmm. He had met me before, and then he relapsed after that. And um, and I said, what was it that finally got you to come back in and stay back in? And he said, I just I knew that. I had no more in me. Mm. I was just tired of living that lifestyle. I didn't like the way I feel. I didn't want to feel like that anymore. And I knew that uh, he was on Suboxone maintenance for 10 years. Wow. 10 years. His mentor told Mm. him, when are you ready to take off the Band-Aid?
1: Yeah. In other words, you know, like... And he just never was ready until now?
0: Because Yeah, he, he, he wasn't ready to actually do the major work, right? Yeah. And actually endure a little bit of pain. No yeah. pain, no gain. I mean, that, that yeah. saying pertains... Yeah. yeah. So let us
1: let us know your thoughts, too, uh, if any of this is resonating with you, or if you have a, a different opinion, we would love to hear it, whether you've gone through rehab, you have a loved one that's that's going through a program or has gone through a program successfully, mm-hmm. or if you just don't agree with it at all, we would love to hear your, your opinions. Now, you're asking that because that sometimes terms.
0: lately we, we get some people that come on and have... Oppositional opinions. Yeah,
1: well, yeah, yeah. There's always, uh, and we want to hear that because we want to, we want to see what works. We're always open
0: to hearing things. You know, it's not yeah. like I'm Mister Know It All. And I, <clears throat> everything that I say is based off of my own experience. Yeah, I've gone and I've gotten educated. I've gone to school for this, you know, to to learn more on a more deeper. You know, to be a drug addict and an alcoholic in active addiction back in the day, I never actually like. I mean, I, I researched some of the stuff I was doing, but there was no internet or anything like that. So mm-hmm. I actually had to like go and seek out books to see like what is ecstasy made of and what, yeah. and what does it do to you? And what is serotonin and all these different things? But to come and get sober and then actually go to school and become educated on it and see like mm. what different drugs do to people and how it affects them and why they do them. And what you know, the deep rooted stuff that people the traumas, but whether it be sexual trauma or or um violence or things like that, that were people are growing up around. I don't blame people for getting high or for drinking to try to numb out all the pain and the suffering that they've endured all their lives, but also on the back end, people get to have their lives back rather than yeah. lose their lives. So, I, I, I love when people. Uh, have a different opinion and I'm always open to different interpretations of things or how other people see it.
1: Yeah, well said. Um, so on the, continuing on the 80% thing of... of 98%. Uh, 90, wow, 98% mm-hmm. of, of failure. Do you think that has anything to do with the level of care as well? So there's, with the rise of addiction, mm-hmm. there's tons of new treatment centers opening but, up all the time but yet that 98% doesn't seem to be shrinking in any, it, it seems to be growing. So why why do you think, do you think it's the it's the level of care that hasn't helped that individual switch into that correct mindset? Based, off of, based off
0: of my experience, I, I mean, I've, I'm very connected. and know a lot of people in a lot of different treatment centers. Yeah. On, on a clinical level, on an operational level, I, I have a lot of connections with lots of treatment centers. Mm-hmm. The majority of the treatment centers that I know that are out there are giving great care to their clients. Yeah, client care comes first for many of them, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think what it really comes down to too is the employee care of the treatment centers. When you take mm-hmm. care of your employees, they're going to be, you know, more hands-on with the clients.
1: That's a good, yeah.
0: That's a good they thing actually you come up. first if you. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, that's that's an important thing for any business in general. Right.
0: So I've worked with some of the best professionals that I've known in Orange County yeah. and Los Angeles in the in clinical atmosphere, right? Mm-hmm. And seen amazing work that's mm-hmm. been done. But when it comes to the client that comes in, the reason that the success rate is not super high and may never be is it's all about the level of willingness. Yeah. You know, if somebody is in a pre-contemplative state, that's a lot different than somebody... Who's contemplating if they really need the help or if they are ready to receive the help? Mm-hmm. There's some people that uh, will come in with their walls up and they're they're guarded. You know, like they don't want you to get in. They that trauma that they've been holding on to, they've been embracing and protecting for many many years, and it's the type of trauma that they want to take to the grave with them. So how how do you break in through that? Now, as far as treatment goes, it's the clinicians duty to try to break through that shell, Mm -hmm. peel away the layers of the onion, get in there. There's so many different things going on with that individual and we have so many different types of individuals. On top of that, you have some people with mental health. So they've got addiction problems and mental health. How do you work with You have to stabilize them. So um, again, the point of treatment is to be able to send them, to, to get them to a point where when they're leaving and they're discharging that you have an aftercare program. Now, yeah. that I can say right now, a lot of centers don't offer good aftercare programs. Yeah, aftercare <laughs> alumni. It's all about alumni. It's all yeah. about like knowing where they are, what they're doing. Are they doing well? Are they suffering? Are they do they need to continue doing some treatment? And and I love the centers that provide, you know, any kind of backup plan for them to to help them and get them more connected back into the place where, like the place I got sober at, it wasn't an actual treatment center, it was a recovery home, right? Okay. But it, it kind of functioned as a treatment center, but it was a recovery home. I went back, I, I was I was so grateful for getting my life back in that particular place that I went and volunteered for three or four years. I actually did my, internship, awesome. my internships there for, wow. for school and all that. So, uh, you know, for me, it was a big deal. I And I also was naive, so this worked for... To my, advi- to my advantage for being naive, I thought that, you know, once you go to treatment, the gig is up. Mm-hmm. Like, I've already been in jails and institutions, and, and now, now that I'm in treatment, I was dumb. I thought, like, everybody just stays sober here. I had no idea, right? And then I start seeing all my friends dropping like flies through it. Dropping like flies, right? Throughout the time that I'm there, some of them are relapsing. Some of them are leaving, you know, against clinical advice, against medical advice, against treatment advice, and they're going and getting high again, and and I was thinking, like, why would you do that to yourself? Like, this is your golden opportunity to get your life back. Again, some of them just aren't ready, Mm -hmm. you know? So, it's about, it's not about what kind of, I mean, it's great to have amazing care provided to certain people, and then there's a lot of people that are caught up in other things when it comes to treatment where they're going for all the wrong reasons to treat. Yeah. Because um, there's greed and ego and uh, You know stuff that's going on on the back end and they're going to treatment for all the wrong reasons and those people are still shortchanging themselves I will also yeah court have,
1: mandated like they have to no no I'm talking there. about
0: people that are going for all the wrong reasons. Okay. I'm talking about people that are being mm-hmm. uh, Tempted taunted paid mm-hmm. uh, You know to sure. go to treatment and and so they have no perception or no concept yet of what real recovery looks like because no. they're they're, they're the drug at a mm-hmm. certain point for other people. Hi, Alan. Alan, Danielle. <laughs> What's this say right here? Somebody else made a comment nice. earlier. Yeah, Tina Williams, Tina. it's such a sad statistic and so scary, so heartbreaking. So Absolutely. So there's some people that say, you know, I'm not about uh, statistics. I don't care about that stuff. How can you, how is it accurate? How do you know for real, right? So. This is what I what I think like, personally because I have seen it with my own eyes. Like let's say for example, a couple of years ago, I was working for a treatment center. Um, they had a house down at the beach in Newport Beach. Yeah, it was a house about 15 beds, 15 wow. or 16 beds. Okay, it was a upstairs and downstairs. Very nice house, right yeah. right near the water at, at the beach. Mm-hmm. So I was running this house. And the time that I was there, I was a house manager for two years. Mm-hmm. I did some groups in the clinical setting too, but for two years, I was a house manager. I watched. A plethora of people come through that place. I'm talking a lot of different men Mm. from all different walks of life. All different ages, races, creeds, colors, everything, right? 200 men came through there. 200 men. To my knowledge, only three of them stayed sober. Why do you think that is? Is it because everything that you said before? It has a lot to do with it. You know, there's... Okay, so there's treatment centers. Is there stubbornness in men? It's not just stubbornness. It's d- the disease can still be strong within people. Mm. You know, they. <coughs> I I do believe in structure. I do believe mm. like the recovery home I went through had major major structure. Yeah, and um, we were the guy followed us around he, he, yeah. he, and he didn't have to follow us with his own eyes. He created a buddy system. He had people that would watch us. He would have people that hold, would hold us accountable. He would hold us accountable. Mm-hmm. If we came short, if we lied, if we, you know, he would, he'd often sit in groups and say, I read between the lines. You know? uh, sometimes he would be harder on me than the other clients. I'd say, why are you so hard on me? He said, because I picked my battles And mm-hmm. I see that you're, you're on your way to long-term recovery as opposed to some of these guys aren't done yet. Yeah. So he could, he could see. He kind of would filter through. Not to say he wasn't trying to help the other guys. He tried. He put all of his heart and soul into helping these people. But some people, you know, you just couldn't. If they're on their way out, they're on their way out. And there's people that relapse there. There's, I mean, even his house. His house, um, for the last 11 and a half years, I've watched maybe 250 people go through there. About 25 of them um, wow. actually stayed sober. And maybe 20 of them do recovery like recovery, like the recovery that was taught to us to do. Mm.
1: So what do you, I want to go back to the uh, importance of alumni and aftercare programs.
0: Right.
1: What do you think makes a good aftercare and alumni program? And someone that has gone through the um, treatment process, Mm -hmm. how willing do you see, Clients typically be for an alumni program and interacting with those programs.
0: Well, I think the programs that people go in when they when you have a good program that's teaching you how to be of service. One of the best things that you can do, and I and I say this to people that come through our program quite often, is is that um, when there's somebody new that comes in, for example, what are you doing for that person if you've mm-hmm. been here for let's say sixty days? Are you making that person feel welcome? Are you letting that person know that you've gotten your life back in this organization? Are you slouching and sleeping in groups or checked out in groups or are you setting a good example? Are you walking by example? Are you showing this person the ropes? Are you, did somebody help you? Do you feel the obligation now to help somebody else since you were helped? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, were you, was, was there nobody there for you when you first came in? No, yeah. there's always going to be some people that stand out in, in um, every treatment center. People that are doing the deal. People that are actually really working hard towards the recovery. So when it comes to, you know, once they're discharging, why not go back and be of service to the place that you were helping? Yeah, absolutely. Be part of the alumni. Put on the events. Be the leader. Be, like spearhead the project. If there's, you know, we, and I've seen so many successful alumni programs where people, they'll have like a campfire. Um, everyone's roasting marshmallows down at the beach and they're all together. They turn it into a 12-step meeting, but they also talk about... Where they got their life back, they talk about their center, and you have all these newer clients that are all sitting out there together amongst each other, and they're hearing this, and they're they're encouraged, like they're, this this is making them excited, to, like hey, this guy got his life back. This guy used to get high the way I got high. Why don't I, you know, follow his lead rather than um, all these unhealthy alliances that can occur in inside of the treatment setting.
1: That's great. So you see a, a pretty common uh, willingness join I them. do I mean Great. even
0: the place that I went through mm-hmm. there was a handful of us that we went back and still go back yeah you know sometimes when somebody's uh, about to get a year of sobriety and they do a coin out we'll mm-hmm. go sit with them and, and what's cool about that counselor is that he'll have everyone go in a circle and pass the coin and we'll all talk to each other uh, we'll, we'll be talking to the person and he and inc- he tells us to never tell them good luck Mm -hmm. because when it comes to sobriety like luck doesn't exist you either you're either doing it or you're not doing it. but he likes us to to talk to them and tell Mm -hmm. them how uh, they've been important to us in our recovery but also where we see that they could improve and like what they could change about certain things that way you are kind of sort of still keeping them accountable and letting them know hey um, I, I appreciate you but you might want to work on this and that, like your relationship issues or your mm-hmm. you know, money management or your time management or punctuality, things like that. Different things, you know, but we're still lifting each other up. Remember something. We're not dropping like flies. When we're doing yeah. that, we're working together in union to try to help each other become the best versions of ourselves. More people could be doing that. Mm-hmm. It's either that or it's death. I mean that's that's the sad thing of this whole thing, is that yeah. there's so it's many reality. people that are it's it's reality. Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah, so every
0: program I've worked in, mm-hmm. every program I've worked in, and up until this day, I get phone calls all mm-hmm. the time. Do you remember so and so? Do you remember mm-hmm. this person? Do you remember that person? Oh, yeah, they used to sit in my groups, they were doing so well. This, that, and the other. What happened? Oh, they passed away. Um, you know, they passed away. How? They relapsed. Really? I thought the guy was doing the deal. Well, he stopped going to meetings, and he stopped. Uh, checking in with the sponsor. He wasn't working with the newcomers. Straight up, like that's that's the way this thing works. Is if we are effective and we're not self-centered and not just thinking about ourselves, then you know there's no reason for you to have to go back and get high. Life is always in session. Yeah. Life is always in session. Why would it? Look, just because. Um, I lose a job or a girlfriend or a car or a job, well, anything, like many different things. Why do I need to turn to a, a drug or to alcohol to ruin it all even worse, right? Yeah. And that's one of the reasons that you're in treatment is to learn and, and gain the tools and work through your stuff, have the therapy that's necessary, sit in groups, mm-hmm. sit in groups and listen to other people's experiences and relate to them. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that will sit in groups and just be like, checked out, It's like, this is redundant. have yeah, are not done this listening over at and, over and over Because they go to treatment yeah. so many times. So, sure. so it's, it's all up to the individual and how to break down that resistance for long-term recovery.
1: That's awesome. We have a couple comments here. We're going to address those. Also leave your thoughts if you are active in recovery, if you've gone through an alumni program. What's your opinion on what makes a successful alumni, and what, what do you like about that program?
0: What's, uh, so
1: Alan Daniels? Daniel says, "I pray discussions around debilitating suicidal-type depression that happens after Vivitrol and/or Naltrexone pills starts to reach those that may be suffering and not even realize they're spiraling down." Yeah. Brandon says, "No person likes to think he is bodily or mentally different from his fellows." Therefore, it's not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless
0: vain attempts
1: to prove we could drink like other people.
0: He's uh, quoting something. That's a good friend right there. He's (coughs) quoting something from um, some literature from Mm. an organization that many of us attend. Mm -hmm. Um, When you come to the conclusion that you can't drink or use. First of all, like I said before, I don't know anyone that does heroin recreationally. Sure. Like, there's just yeah. no way to do it. Like, you—it's not a here and yeah, there. You're, you're either you're doing not. it or you're yeah. not doing it, right? So, when it comes to drinking, like when when a true alcoholic drinks, um, they can't hold their liquor and they can't mm. stop. Once you start, start, you can't stop. I know people, believe it or not, I know people that will have one drink, or maybe get on their second drink and think, "Ooh, I'm getting tipsy." Enough for me. Not what... Mm-hmm. For a true just alcoholic... a completely different mentality. For a true alcoholic one or two, we've just begun. The night is right. young. Let's, let's get this going. So you don't realize. But when you come into recovery and you, re, re, you realize, like, I'm bodily, mentally different than my f- fellows. When I drink... All or when I use, I become, like it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah. I become a monster. I do m- monstrous things. I will get behind the wheel, under the influence, and drive a car, and put other people's lives at risk, including mine and anybody that's in the car. Mm-hmm. What is that? Yeah, how how early, early on
1: do you think you start to recognize that mentality that you think differently as an addict, alcoholic than
0: In recovery? Yeah. It varies. It's, sometimes it takes people mm. months and months to to actually have the aha moment, the moment right. of clarity, you know what I mean um, sometimes some people never get it, Yeah. Um, the ego you know, grandiose thinking, they think that they're above it all, and that I think a lot of that is psychological too mm-hmm. the way they were raised, who they were raised by, how much you know, what level of willingness, and so uh, you know, and the other gentleman, right, I think they were talking about the whole Vivitrol craze, you know, it's great. I mean, it's, it's cool to be able to give people something to where they, it'll kill the craving and it'll not get you high. You know, you can, if on Naltraxone, if you drink, you're not gonna get drunk. It's not gonna work, it won't work. You know, in Vivitrol, if like, you do heroin, it's not, gonna, it's not gonna get you high. However, uh, if there's no recovery in place, the person's never gonna get better. Yeah. So no wonder there's depression. Mm-hmm. And the point of true recovery is when you really come in and you give it your all and you make, you're committed and dedicated, you're not enabled and nobody's, you know, still controlling things from behind the scenes. When you actually become your own person, you have the opportunity to recreate yourself. I often sit um, in groups with a lot of ad- alcoholics and addicts and I think, and I ask them, like, how many people in here shot dope? Mm-hmm. And all the hands go up. Like, mm-hmm. okay. How old are you? 22, 25, 26. 25. Okay. When you were nine years old, did you ever think you were going to put a needle in your body to affect your brain? Yeah. Absolutely not. Okay. (laughs) All of them. Nope, 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 nope. Okay. So you had more common sense at that age than then. When you were an infant, what what were your biggest problems in your life? Well, uh, to drink milk. Right. (laughs) And to have my diaper changed. Those were the biggest problems. You had no motor skills, nothing. Mm -hmm. No problems. So we get introduced to this world and all of these events that happen and all of these experiences and all these scenarios that happen that start to make us who we are. Some of us experience depression. Some of us experience anxiety. Some of us turn to drugs and alcohol to numb all that out. So when we turn to those to numb those things out, if we actually really, really, really achieve real recovery, we work through our stuff. All of that, whatever it may be. And there's so many people with so many different types of traumas, but I've seen... People from the gates of hell get out of that madness, get out from under the belly of the beast and go into a whole different realm of living. Right now, i got a bunch of guys around me that, you know, I see the way they're living and it's because they gave themselves to recovery. Mm -hmm. They have um, stopped shoveling their own grave. They have put up the white flag. I used to think that surrendering was like a form of weakness, like, oh, I'm surrendering mm-hmm. to the police, right? No, mm-hmm. surrendering to my disease, like, I'm done. I, I, I absolutely don't have it in me to go back out and use and drink again, and I don't want to. Mm-hmm. It's not going to solve anything. Why would I want to die? And on top of that, you know, when we say people are d- dropping like flies, what a lot of people don't realize then when they're in active addiction is how many other people are we affecting and how... How much are they hurting? I mean, some of our mothers and fathers are dying inside. So imagine, and you can't really imagine, like, the, the amount of turmoil that they're feeling and enduring as a, a, on all the nights that they can't sleep. I often say this to people that are new in recovery. Do you know how many people are home right now sleeping more comfortably because you're here? Mm-hmm. Because you're working on yourself, because you're addressing your issues. Mm-hmm. You know, and... and I'm all about just higher success rates, getting people, because people are quite capable, believe me. I've actually worked in, in some places to where when, when you have uh, people that are truly showing them what true recovery looks like, I've seen high success rates where more people than the, the 2% are staying sober, and it's very possible.
1: Well it's amazing that people like you are, are trying to increase that success rate every single day.
0: I appreciate that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I hope this uh, episode was was good, struck a positive chord for you all. If you're ever struggling, if you have a loved one that's struggling, you can reach out to Pej uh, at any time. You can reach out to Beginnings Treatment Centers at 800-387-6907 or visit us online for more information. Um, we also have some tremendous online resources for you that you can access twenty four seven. Do you, you want to talk?
0: Are we talking about? Well, um, you- t- tell, tell them about the group. <laughs> Ask an addiction specialist. is a Facebook group that, if you, it's in the link right there. You can also yeah. type it up in your bar if you're not a member of the page. We would love for you to. To request to be added, and when you get on there, you can ask an addiction specialist any questions that you have. If you or a loved one is suffering with addiction or alcoholism, um, and you have any questions, we have uh, professionals that are readily available at any time that will come and answer your questions, and some people that are even in the recovery community that are part of the group that can come it's, and tell that, it's their really experiences. Great yes. Yeah. So ask an addiction specialist. We hope to see you in that group.
1: Absolutely. And if you do like to listen to this podcast, whether this is your first time or your 50th time, uh, we very much appreciate all of the reviews and the feedback that we constantly get from you all. Leaving a five-star review on iTunes may sound silly, but it it really helps us reach and positively impact more people. You can find all of our past episodes anywhere you listen or watch podcasts, YouTube, YouTube, uh, Google Play, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, third-party apps like Podcast Addict, you name it, we're on there.
0: You just type in The Sober Grind. Yep, That's Sober what Grind,
1: and you will find us. We're yes. on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on everywhere, and if you have a future topic that you would like us to cover, please let us know. Until next time, Sober Grind sober out.